Good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we are continuing our study in the book of Acts. Uh, the Apostle Paul has left Athens, a great intellectual city, and he's gone a short distance uh, to Corinth, uh, a pretty bustling metropolis of the, of the time, uh, but also known for its... Um, as you say, more seedy ways, uh, maybe is a way to put it, I don't know, is a, is a little more uh, pagan activity going on there. Less of an intellectual city, more of a fun city, known for its games, similar to uh, the Olympics. They had games similar to that there. It was, a, it was a place that was active and thriving and cosmopolitan, people from all over the world. And the Apostle Paul comes, again, he arrives there before his companions, and uh, in this section we get a glimpse um, into his affairs. A little, bit, a little bit more inside look into, into the person of the Apostle Paul. So with that, let's, let's uh, turn our attention to God's Word uh, as we read chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. Chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. It's printed for you in your bulletin, or you can turn there uh, in your Bibles. This is the word of God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was one of the, he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius uh, Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul uh, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, "Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crimes, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. The word of the Lord. Pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word uh, this morning. We thank you again for the way in which we see your spirit at work uh, in, the, the, in the Roman world. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and for his, his companions and for the way they faithfully uh, preached Christ. 
I thank you for the fruit that was born there. And Lord, we pray that similarly amongst your people here today, that you would bear fruit by your word, that you would use my weak words uh, to bring your strength forward in in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. I think, it, I think it's an understatement uh, to say that life is full of challenges, right? <laughs> if you've lived at all, you could say that's just the nature of life. Life is full of challenges. We face them every day. We face them at work, in the home, in the classroom, with our friends, in our communities, within our churches. Uh, and maybe especially we face challenges in our own hearts, don't we? In our own minds and as we struggle against our own sin. And those are just the present challenges. We often also are full of worry and anxiety over future challenges that haven't even come to exist yet. But we worry about them. We focus on them. We fixate on them. We often feel like we are carrying this huge weight on our our shoulders, don't we? We feel like we go around life just kind of overwhelmed. I, I do. It affects our bodies. We lose sleep. Some of us lose hair, some of us go gray, and uh, we all get all sorts of stress-induced ailments. And I'm guessing that it was no different for the Apostle Paul as he traveled from city to city. In fact, we get a glimpse of how he felt as he entered into Corinth. Remember, he's been on the road for months. He's faced every imaginable hardship and has even faced his own mortality. Remember, he was stoned and almost to, to the point of death. Uh, He's been arrested. Uh, He's been run out of pretty much every town he's gone to. Uh, He's been mocked like he was in Athens. Um, But this is what he said in uh, his letter, his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 2. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. I think that says it all, right? Here's the the great Apostle Paul, you know, the one who was fearless, who went from town to town proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah without worry about his life or limb. But that isn't the reality. The reality is he went from town to town with fear and trembling, in weakness. You wonder how, as he said these words to the Corinthians, thinking about his time in in Corinth, you wonder how his time in Athens affected him. Remember, he wasn't run out of Athens like he was elsewhere. But by the time he gets to Corinth, he says that he came to them in weakness and fear, not with lofty speech or wisdom. Maybe, Maybe Athens got the better of him intellectually. Maybe he felt... Worn down by all their arguments and lofty ideas. I think this missionary journey has taken a toll on Paul, just as life takes a toll on us. And this morning, as we consider this text, what I want us to see is that we walk through life, as we walk through this life, the reality is we do feel anxious, we do worry, we do have fears, but we don't have to. We don't need to be full of worry and anxiety. Why? Because the Lord is with us. The Almighty God, the Sovereign of Heaven and and Earth, provides for us. 
and gives us all we need. And I want to consider this, how He does this, how He provides for us, how He cares for us in the midst of life in three parts. Uh, First, He's with us and provides for us in just the basic stuff of life. Just the basics. He's with us and provides for us in our call as Christians, in our ministry, so to speak. He's with us as... And with all of us as believers, as we go out into the world and have opportunity to, profe- to, to, to claim Christ and to proclaim Christ, He's with us. And finally, we'll look at how He's with us and provides for us in ways that are unimaginable, that we can't even picture. So that's where we're headed. Well, first, He's with us and provides for us in the basic stuff of life. We are introduced here to Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, these are folks who will, who will stand out, if you will, in the, in the story of the book of Acts in different ways, and we'll see that in a moment. But we're told that Paul finds them and went to see them because they had the same trade. They were both tent makers. And Paul goes to work with them and to live with them in order that he can sustain his ministry. Uh, you you kind of wonder, how does he have the money to travel from place to place? How does he have food? Uh, he makes a point to say he didn't rely, try to rely on the people that he went to minister to. Um, but he had learned a trade. He was a tent maker. And so he found these other tent makers and he goes and he uh, works with them and he lives with them. And on the surface, this seems, seems fairly unremarkable. I mean, after all, it's quite natural that if you were to enter a new city looking for some work to do, that you would find someone in your trade and that you would offer your services. You would go and apply for that job, right? And maybe Paul was connected with them through something like LinkedIn, whatever it looked like there. And he said, okay, here's a couple that works in this trade and I'm going to go. I don't know what they had or how they were connected, but on the surface of it all, it seems fairly normal. But I think there's more than meets the eye that's going on uh, in the text. This wasn't some chance encounter. The first thing that we learn is that they were Jews from Rome. And they were not in Corinth because they wanted to move to Corinth. They didn't go to Corinth thinking this is a nicer city. Maybe it was a nicer city, I don't know. But they didn't go there because of that. Uh, they, they weren't looking to, you know, weather on the Mediterranean is fairly nice. And Rome is kind of in the center of Italy. Maybe they thought it would be nicer to be in, 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 on the Mediterranean. No, I don't think that was the, the impulse. In fact, we know it wasn't. The emperor, Claudius, had expelled the Jews from Rome. And if you are, uh, your livelihood, your life, everything is in a city, and all of a sudden you have to pick up and move, that would cause what? Stress, anxiety, worry, all of those things. It's hard to imagine the kind of anxiety, uncertainty, and fear that were uh, experienced by Uh, the Jews that had to flee by people like Aquila and Priscilla. But there's a second thing that's a little less obvious um, and that can sort of only be inferred from our text, but it's quite remarkable that this whole thing was not chance meeting. Um, And it's this, it's likely that Aquila and Priscilla were already believers in Jesus Christ. Now, How do I know that? Well, we don't know for certain. Um, But the reason that Claudius expelled the Jews from from Rome was because there had been riots amongst the Jews on account of, according to the historians, this man named Crestus, 
uh, uh, spelled a little differently, but this was a, a historian looking back at a situation with a name that was off by a single letter. Um, maybe it was intentional, maybe it wasn't intentional, but it seems as if within the Jewish community there was this leader, this messianic character who was leading some sort of disruption in, in the Jewish community. And for Claudius, having disruptions in Rome was out of the question. It was something he didn't want. To, a law and order, so to speak. So his answer to that was, remove them. Get, not just, you know, it's an inter-Jewish issue, but we're just going to get rid of them all. And so Christian Jews, non-Christian Jews, they left um, Rome. But that begs the question, how did these Christians come to be in Rome? Paul hasn't even gotten to Rome yet. Well, we don't know exactly, but we can imagine. Remember Pentecost? People from all over the Roman world had come to Jerusalem. And there heard Peter preach. Saw the power of the Spirit come down. And as they left Jerusalem, they went back to their homes. Maybe some went as far as Rome. We don't know. But there's another reason that they might be Christians. Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, there's no mention of their conversion. And yet, by the end of this chapter, we'll see how they are helping Apollos, another Christian, in the, his theology. So they're coming alongside Apollos. Uh, so they're already believers. Um, there's no mention of Paul baptizing Priscilla and Aquila. So these are all reasons to believe, and I think it's important to note that, that when Paul reaches out to Priscilla and Aquila, he's reaching out to fellow Christians that are coming from Rome, and it must have been an encouraging thing, right? Imagine Paul all alone. Silas and Timothy aren't with him yet. He comes into a new city. He's coming with fear and trembling. And here is this couple divinely provided by God to support and encourage the ministry in Corinth. Do you see there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye? Why does it matter that this couple was kicked out of Rome and that ended up in Corinth? Why does it matter that they were already believers? Because it shows us that God provides. He is with His people even in the face of intense difficulties. I'm sure Priscilla and Aquila wondered and worried about what God was doing in their life as they had to march out of Rome. But the Lord had plans to use them, firstly here in the life of Paul, who who in turn would be used by God for the sake of the Corinthians. Later we'll see how they go with Paul and serve alongside Paul and even help other Christians. In other words, God had plans for this couple, things they couldn't have imagined as they were being forced out of their home. You know, when we talk about providence, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing to figure how God is at work. And one one uh, Puritan writer noted that the providence of God is better read like the book, like, like Hebrew, backwards, right? So it's, it's much easier to look back as we read this text and say, uh, wow, God was doing amazing things. But if you're Priscilla and Aquila, if you're the Apostle Paul, you you don't know what God's doing in the moment. Isn't that how life is? You're sort of wondering, God, what are you about? I'm anxious, I'm worried. And yet the Lord is at work. God provided Paul gainful employment and lodging in an unfamiliar city. But more significantly, can you imagine Paul's surprise when he caught wind 
of a Christian couple in Corinth, tent makers no less, who already followed Jesus. Paul didn't have his companions with him yet, but this must have been a huge encouragement for him. This past week, uh, I decided I needed to get out of the house. We've had such bad weather, and my, my office is in the house, and I was just like, I need to work elsewhere. I cannot stay in the house and another minute. And so I went to Starbucks, and there's like there's one in Bloomfield, there's one in Bishop's Corner, there's one down here in, in the center of West Hartford. And for whatever reason, I went to the one in Bishop's Corner. I don't know. I have no idea why I went to that one. But as I sat there, uh, this, these two men sat down next to me. And as soon as they started talking, I knew immediately they were Christians. It turned out that they were not only Christians, but uh, the one was a fellow pastor here in, the, in, in Bloomfield. He was in my town. Uh, he was a fellow Gordon-Conwell graduate. Uh, not only that, but he also uh, was mentored by the same pastor that I was mentored to in Boston. And that when I was overhearing all this, I couldn't, I couldn't stop myself. And I went over and I said, I just want to introduce myself. I'm a new pastor here. And we sat... And we talked. He's a fellow, he's an African American brother, and I was saying, I want, I want to find ways in which we can partner. And he's not just, any, he's a pastor of probably the most prominent church in Bloomfield. And we sat there, and I thought, this was God's way of bringing encouragement into my life. God provides. It's not a little thing that God brings people together. Even as you sit here this morning, it's not a random chance that you're here. God has brought you here just as He brought us all here. Why? Well, at the very least, that we might come together and worship the living God together. That we might be mutually encouraged. That we might feast in this meal together. And this same God who brought us here is the one who provides for you daily bread, a place to live, loved ones, and even some of those things when they're taken away at any given time. He's part of that. But you can be assured that God is with us. What is His purpose? At any given moment? I don't always know. But His promises are clear. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? He cares for us in the basic things. We don't need to fear or be anxious because the Lord is with us. He provides for us. But more specifically in our text, the Lord provides for us in our calling as Christians, in our service, and what we do in terms of ministry. Once again, Paul starts uh, in at the synagogue with his ministry, right? That's, that's how he's done it. We've looked at it every week and week out. He goes to the synagogue. He, he goes and he proclaims Jesus as the Messiah. And usually good things happen. People come to faith and bad things happen. <laughs> Both those things. So he's at the, he's at the uh, synagogue and his friends finally arrive. And as he begins to explain how Jesus was the Christ in the synagogue, uh, it happened again. Many of the Jews got angry. The text says that they opposed and reviled him. Strong language. 
No doubt they viewed Paul as a blasphemer, right? Because he was proclaiming that this man, Jesus, was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Anointed One who would come and deliver who came and delivered his people by dying on the cross. He, he proclaimed all of that, and so he was decried as a blasphemer. They defamed him. They slandered him. And ironically, the word here for revile is blaspheme. They blasphemed Paul. This is kind of an ironic thing. And honestly, it must have been one of the worst times that this had happened, because we've seen it happen over and over again, that Paul has experienced this, because he in turn takes his garment and prophetically shakes the dust out at them. It's kind of a weird thing. If I went into somebody's house and did this, nobody would know what I was doing. But it was a sign they would have understood. It was a sign saying something to the effect of this. May you be shaken out just like this dust from my garment. And as an aside, the Old Testament, when God would shake something out, it was not a good thing. This same word is used when the Egyptian soldiers are swallowed up in the Red Sea. It says that God shook them out. That's a strong statement by the Apostle Paul. And he follows it with words even stronger. He says, Your blood be on your head, for I am innocent. You see, the Apostle Paul is not the blasphemer. They were the blasphemer who were denying Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and they were endangering their souls by reviling the good news. And the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure they understood it. But you can picture the Apostle Paul being discouraged. Over and over and over and over again, he pours himself out to his people. His people! He pours himself out saying, listen to this truth that I understand where you're at. I was just like you. I was persecuting Christians. I understand where you're at, but listen, this is true. Every time he goes to a new city, he pours himself out. And every time he gets maligned, he gets reviled, he gets beaten, he gets imprisoned, he gets stoned. Would you be discouraged in ministry? I'd have given up long ago, to be frank. How do you not throw in the towel in ministry when it feels like you're hitting your head against a brick wall? Maybe you felt that way after talking to your friend for the millionth time and all you get is a polite smile. It's easy to lose heart as Christians when everyone around you seems content to continue towards that path of judgment and destruction. It's discouraging. But we can't miss the story. God is at work. He is present in the midst of the mess and He is faithfully providing despite the circumstances, despite Paul's experience. The first thing we see that is that as soon as he is kicked out of this, or as soon as he leaves, shakes the dust off and goes out, he goes and finds a man, a God-fearing Roman who is a Greek Roman. He has a Roman name, but he's living in Corinth. He goes into this home 
And the home is opened up for ministry. If you can't meet over there in the synagogue, Paul, come on over here. I want to hear the good news. I want to know about this Jesus, this Messiah. Secondly, we see that his efforts in the synagogue were not in vain. It might have felt that way. A lot of times the loudest voices are the ones who are criticizing, the ones that are, that are railing. And it's easy. We, we talk about this a lot as pastors of ministry. It's easy to forget the fruit. To see that God is actually at work in people's lives. But look who turns to the gospel. It was the head of the synagogue. And his whole family are converted and baptized. This man, Crispus. Can you imagine what it was for Crispus to, to, to say, I believe in Jesus? He's going to lose his position. His prominent place in society is going to be lost. He's no longer the head of the synagogue. We see that by the very end of the, 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 the section here. There's another leader of the synagogue. Well, I opened up the sermon by talking about how we feel the heavy weight of the world on our shoulders. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you all. I really think I was talking about myself more than any of you. Um, I would think I was really speaking about my own anxiety, my own worries. Maybe you feel the same way. I don't know that for sure. I don't know. Maybe you do. But I do know this. All my anxieties are born out of this. They're born out of not seeing God as present and not seeing God as powerful. My worries are born from thinking that I'm actually in control and that everything depends on me. But the truth is so much different, isn't it? God is present and powerful. God is in control. And everything, even the well-being of you all, is not in my hands. We don't have the salvation of our children in our hands, nor the salvation of our siblings, or our parents, or our spouses, or our friends, or our co-workers. These things are in the hand of the Almighty. And, and to be frank, we actually we kind of view this negatively. The fact that they're not in our control. <laughs> Why? Because it makes us feel kind of helpless. But let's just ask the question for a moment. What if these things were in our hands? What if these matters were up to us? What if the salvation of our loved ones were in our hands? What if your souls depended on my preaching? It would crush us. Our problem is that we often think too little of God and too much of ourselves. But if we stop for just a moment and contemplate the situation of ourselves, I think we know how helpless we are in these matters. Paul loved his people, the Jews. He dedicates three chapters of Romans to the question of their salvation. He, he longs for their salvation. And I'm guessing he was distraught at the majority negative reception when he went to the synagogues. Even more than that, I think he was afraid for his life on what they were going to do to him. We're often in that place of anxiety. We're, we're at a loss. But God is gracious even in our weakness. Look what He does for the Apostle Paul. He speaks to him. 
He comes to him in a vision. God said to Paul, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. God's comfort here is in many ways very specific to Paul in Corinth. And we'd be very cautious to take this and apply it directly to ourselves, right? Um, There are some very specific things. Let's look at them. No one will attack you or harm you. Certainly that wasn't always the case for Paul. (laughs) We've already seen that. And it won't be the case. He'll eventually go to his martyrdom. Um, But while he's in Corinth, God promises that no harm will come to him. Another specific thing for a situation here is, God also says, I have many in this city, in Corinth, who are my people. You see, Paul's work was not done in Corinth. So the Lord was preserving him for that work. Paul, you're going to stick around, you're going to minister, you're going to proclaim the truth, and I'm going to protect you. You need to trust me. Those are very specific comforts for the Apostle Paul. But these specific comforts are in line with how God treats all of his children. Jesus promised his disciples before he ascended that he would be with them to the very end of the age. In fact, I argued at the beginning of this series that this book is not so much the acts of the apostles, but it's the acts of what? The Holy Spirit. Because it is God's Spirit who is present and active and powerful. And haven't we seen that throughout this entire book? It's all about how God continues to work, continues to press forward his mission, his kingdom. God is with us. He never leaves us, nor forsakes us. And while the hardship and suffering are part and parcel to life and to ministry, and that we don't have specific guarantees that we will not be attacked or harmed, like Paul had here in Corinth, but the truth is, we do have promises. We have eternal security and hope. As Peter says in his first epistle, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It is yours. That's a guarantee. No matter what they do to you, no matter what happens in your life, you have the surety, the certainty of eternal life. The great... Reformer Martin Luther put it this way in his hymn, Mighty Fortress. He said, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The Prince of Darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell Him. That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, the mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And we are His. He is mine. I want to conclude with this final thought. He's with us and He provides for us in ways we can't imagine. The text concludes with what starts out like business as usual for Paul and his friends. The Jews, opposed to Paul, drag him before the Roman authorities and accuse him of sedition. In that moment, it probably seemed like an obvious end. Paul and his friends would either be 
One, thrown into prison. Two, kicked out of town. Or worse, three, convicted, tried, and killed. It's the logical conclusion to what was going on. Option four was unfathomable. Both for the accusers and for the accused. And this is what happened. It switched the tables. The tables turned. The the Apostle Paul was set free. And the Jews found themselves on the wrong side of the authorities. Yet this was God's option. God says, my ways are not your ways. The Roman proconsul couldn't be bothered with the internal affairs of the Jews. He saw no vicious crimes being committed. And so the text ends uh, with certain persons being dragged, uh, a certain person being dragged away, this new leader of the synagogue. Uh, he was dragged, uh, not away, but before the tribunal and was beaten instead. And the, 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 the proconsul, Gaius or Gallio, simply turned the other cheek, or not turned the other cheek, turned away, didn't care. It says, uh, Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Now, there's a lot of questions in the text here. Who was it that dragged Sosthenes away and, and beat him, the ruler of the synagogue? But we don't know. There's some textual evidence arguing that it was the Corinthian crowds who were present, who in general didn't like the Jews and so took this opportunity to mistreat them and to beat them. Maybe it was the Jews themselves that took their leader away because he failed. We don't know. Whatever the case may be, God and His divine inscrutable wisdom used even the apathy of a Roman ruler to preserve his people. But now I want you to think, is this the first time this has happened? That God would use a Roman official and his apathy to preserve his people? I think we hear the echoes of Pilate and Gallio. Right? But there's a huge difference. In this case, Paul is preserved, and in that case, Christ was crucified. But in both cases, God was at work in saving his people. As Pilate washed his hands of Jesus and turned him over to the crowds and said, Do with him what you will, Jesus, the great sovereign, the very king of the universe, willingly humbled himself and endured the cross. He endured the wrath of God on account of our sin. And He secured eternity for us. You see, the cross is the inscrutable wisdom of God. It was the way that no mind of man could imagine to deal with the problem of our sin of our inability to save and preserve ourselves. As we wrestle with the burdens on our backs and think that it's all up to us, whether it's taking care of the little things of this life, the daily bread stuff, or whether it's the task of sharing Christ to the lost, what are we to do? We're to cast that weight on the King of Heaven, the One who upholds heaven and earth, the One who took the weight of the world, Upon himself. 
don't be anxious and fear. God is present. God is powerful. And He provides for us everything that we need. For He gave up everything for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we uh, often don't turn to you in our anxiety and our stress and our worry. In fact, we carry it almost as a badge of honor. And yet it's crushing us. Oh Lord, help us to take our burdens, cast them before you, recognizing that you as our great King and Sovereign, the one who cares for us like a child, like a father caring for his children. Lord, help us to see your great care for us. Not just in providing for our daily food and our bread and our housing, friends and everything else, but in the way that you provide life for us and secure it. That we can have hope in that. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.